0: hey and welcome to deeper than data the podcast where we get to know the scientists deeper than their science to find out that they used to jump out of cars and get rejected from grad school or they might struggle trying to tie their shoes and still use the same method they learned from when they were five maybe the last one's just me your host ben rush i think our guest today is a gift and by the end of the episode i think you will too So without further ado, let's get to our very first guest Alfonso Morales. So first i'd actually just like to have you state your name and your positions
1: hello ben my name is alfonso morales and i'm a professor of, of uh, planning and landscape architecture at the university of wisconsin at madison
0: awesome and if i can just have you follow up with uh, the pronouns you prefer and also a physical description of yourself
1: sure i think he and him work for me and i'm five foot eight uh At one time, I had a head full of black, curly hair. Now I've got about half a head. Uh, I have a mustache that I have never shaved in my entire life.
0: Signature.
1: Uh, That's right. I've never shaved it. Everybody says, really? I say, yep. That's the case. I've never shaved it. Uh, I weigh about 160 pounds or so. Um, I'm pretty brown skinned. Uh, I got uh, some mark. I got a mark on my cheek. Uh, not quite a mole, but like an aging spot, I guess.
0: So the audio on Zoom cuts out a little bit. But Alfonso is saying that he actually has the same aging spot on the same cheek as his dad.
1: <clears throat> Which is kind of interesting. He used to call it the love bug. So whenever the little grandkids or would be around or grandnieces and nephews, they'd be sitting on his lap and, and they'd look at him and they'd say, What's that, abuelito And he'd say, That's the love bug. You want to kiss it <laughs> and the little girls would go ah! <laughs> and the little boys would go i'm gonna eat it. you know they would pinch it or whatever anyway so yeah so wow. i guess that's what i look like
0: okay that's awesome. i mean i'm also happy to hear that you're carrying on that legacy in a way too <laughs> <In> a way. <laughs> yeah yeah in a way <laughs> um great so i'm gonna ask you my first icebreaker question um What was the most recent meal you relished? I think both you and I love food. Uh, So I I was
1: like, this is perfect for Alfonso. Yeah, you know what? You know, honestly, breakfast this morning was pretty good. You know, it was, I eat gruel uh, every other day. Every every meal, I try and eat stuff that I enjoy at every single meal. So last night before dinner, I mean, after dinner for dessert, I ate a pomegranate. You know, not just nice. the delicious, you know what I mean? This morning, so gruel is one of my breakfasts. And, and it's basically a combination of granolas and nuts and yogurts and berries. And and this morning's was a combination of pecans and almonds. and mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, it sure came out good. I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Nice. I recently got from the farmer's market this uh, dark chocolate honey spread, and I'm just imagining a little dollop of that on your your morning roll.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I can. I can imagine that. Yeah, I'm going to give it a try.
0: Yeah, perfect. Uh, okay, then I think this is going to be the most challenging question for probably anyone on this podcast, but I'm hoping you can give a pitch of your research within about two minutes.
1: Wow. And we're going to okay. completely
0: get away from the research after that.
1: Okay, real well, good. Well, I'm glad that there's listeners who may be interested in science. And so my research is both basic and applied. So I ask basic questions about food systems and marketplaces, more broadly about social organizations, uh, human organization, bureaucracy, and, and uh, organization and regulation, and economic ac- aspects of bureaucracy, social aspects of bureaucracy, gender aspects of bureaucracy racial aspects of bureaucracy and organization and in particular food systems and farmers markets. I also ask applied questions so that is to say I try and help farmers market managers, farmers, government officials understand the implications of their activities and improve their activities uh, to f- meet the goals that they determine in, in, in their work. And so I created a thing called Farm 2 Facts with the digit 2 farm2facts.org that enables farmers market managers in the US and Canada to collect, report, and analyze data about their markets. Um, so that's, that's it in a nutshell. Over the course of 25 years, I've written about many different subjects, law and society, uh, social theory, formal and informal organizations. and and uh, But that run through it all is that distinction between basic research and applied research. <clears throat> because I like my work to be applicable when possible, and community-oriented goals to support folks in reflecting on their work.
0: Yeah, I think that, I mean, first of all, great timing. I think that was just about two minutes. And uh, I think one of the things I really like about your research too is uh, your lab as a whole, you're out and about. It's, you're not, you know, staying home for me, uh, it works because I do a lot of secondary data analysis, but you're out there still trying to collect data even in the middle of the pandemic safely, of course
1: yes indeed and and we're fortunate to work with in 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 the farm to facts and the work with farmers market managers they are real troopers because they're doing a lot of the data collection you know the farmers that they work with the, the they are doing a lot of the work and so it's really they're they're a remarkable group of people
0: yeah absolutely um, okay I'm gonna go to my next icebreaker question I I thought of this, and I was like, man, I am actually really excited to ask Alfonso this one. Um, who was your first crush?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, I think I was in fourth grade. Let me think about this. I think the... Oh, my goodness. Uh, I I, it, I think that the young woman's name was... Uh, the girl's name was, was Debbie. But uh, there you go. I used to walk at at that time we lived in the city of albuquerque new mexico and uh and i used to walk to and from the elementary school and so i'd always walk behind her about half a block and think should i catch up up?" (laughs) anyways yeah uh man never
0: did yeah (laughs) i i mean i can still i feel like you know i'm i'm 29, but I can easily point to times even recently. It's like, should I catch up and say something like that? That kind of nervousness never completely leaves.
1: Um, yeah, that's
0: awesome. I, I might make that like just a staple question. I think it's so good. Um, but speaking of Debbie, like back and forth, I was gonna transition into just seeing what you were like when you were growing up. What were you like as a young kid?
1: Oh boy. So I was a, an egghead. Uh fourth grade as a matter of fact, the teacher wrote on my report card at the end of the year, little did she know, right? To my absent-minded professor. And And it was really wonderful. I, I played uh, strategy games. So at the time, there were these maps, they were divided into hexagons and and you would recreate or refight famous battles from history, or you know, fictional stuff from the future. And uh, so I was a big hit reader and a big history buff and, and uh, enjoyed playing those games a lot. Um, so I think that's the principal thing that somebody would say about me, that I had my nose in a book a lot.
0: Yeah. Did that carry through, like, all of middle school and high school as well?
1: Not really. So, well, it did, but it got complemented. As I went along in, in middle school, so one of the things, my family's been in farming and ranching for a long time. And so even though whenever I was in elementary school and middle school, I lived in Albuquerque, we would spend summers at my grandfather's ranch in West Texas, and we would, and then we bought a farm. My father and my parents bought a farm uh, about 60 miles from Albuquerque and we'd start spending a lot of time out there as well. And so so that work, uh, and my, my father, even when we lived in the city, he was constantly looking for things for us to do. He, he had a wood shop. He had a, a, a shop. He had so many tools. So we built things for our neighbors. Hmm. We redid porches for them. I mean, we did it for the materials. We did it just because my dad wanted to stay busy. He enjoyed working. We had a big garden in our backyard. We had, Our lawn was perfection. You know, in yeah. the middle America since the <laughs> 1970s, It was perfection, you know? The undulations in the yard were perfect. Everything was perfect about it, you know? And so so, um, in middle school and high school, uh, as I became more useful and could do more than just hand them the appropriate screwdriver or the appropriate tool, that's all I could do when I was a kid. You know, hold this, hold that, give me this, give me That that, slowly I became able to do things. And, And so I was expected to do a lot of things. And when we moved out to the farm, you know, I milked a cow every other day. My brother did it three days a week. I did three days a week, and my dad gave us Sunday's off. There were all kinds of chores around the house. Uh, this
0: is when you're, like, maybe 13,
1: 14? 13, 14, yeah, okay. 15. I was in FFA, Future Farmers of America, and, and uh was an athlete it was a very small high school 30 kids in my graduating class wow and so everybody did everything when you're in a small high school like that you know there's rivalries and whatnot but the but you know in rural new mexico uh there were uh, there, there were difficulties uh but by and large everybody did everything together and and so you know you played the sport maybe you were in uh, you were definitely in a club the girls were in future homemakers of America, FHA, (laughs) which I think still exists, a form of it renamed still exists. And the boys were in FFA and while the girls were in FFA as well, but, uh, and then there was, there was shop, there was wood shop and metal shop and auto shop. Mm. Even in a little school like that, you know, we had shops. Uh, And uh, so, so, so even though I was academic, in intellectually oriented uh, my life was pretty robust you know I played on a state high school football championship team uh uh and 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 enjoyed a lot of success for being you know a reasonably bright kid in a very yeah. small place you know
0: yeah nice Do you, so i'm also imagining like times out on the farm or in the wood shop you'd probably get up to some sort of shenanigans possibly with your brother uh just on that prompt alone do any stories come to
1: mind well well you, you, you know i don't know how funny they would be but um <laughs> my, my mom you know and she's louise so uh there's so many different things so one, one thing we're coming we're driving in from a field once at my grandfather's house and my brother and i were kicking it in the back of the pickup truck my grandfather was driving and and i challenged him i said you know, jump out while well, it's still <laughs> rolling, you know? And he said, no, you jump out. And I said, okay. And so, you know, it was going at a pretty good clip, 10 or 15 miles an hour at the time. And I jumped out and obviously no humans are running that fast. And, and yeah. so I, you know, the momentum just, you know, I mean, I crashed to the ground in short order, and everybody was laughing at me. That was pretty funny. You know, when we were out in the in the farm and changing water in the corn, there were a lot of rattlesnakes around, so we'd goof around with them a little bit.
0: So I just want to jump in here real quick and say that I don't condone playing with rattlesnakes.
1: Okay. And they're pretty smart creatures, yeah. you know, and, and so we'd be standing in the truck, you know, with a shovel poking at them. And they weren't just, you know, biting at the at the shovel. They would try and launch themselves up the handle. They knew something was going on. Yeah. And, you know, uh, there's pictures of my mom, who's still alive. Thank goodness my father passed away 18 months ago. But my mom, she moved in with my sister and rebuilt all of her photo albums you know oh, wow. uh, about yeah about let me see about 16 linear feet of photo albums wow yeah and and mailed them mailed the results to all kinds of people and i'm looking at my i don't know 10 inches of photo foot of photo albums that came to me over there and there's we they got here a couple of weeks ago and we flipped through them and there's a picture of me Wrestling with a pig, you know, with arms wrapped around a pig, and my brother is there, you know, doing something on the side, <laughs> you know, just so. I'm, I'm fortunate that I had an upbringing that was fairly protected from yeah uh, much racial or other strife. You know, fairly privileged in terms of economic position, and and and. Uh, blessed with the opportunity to get to do a bunch of different things learn how to you know learn how to make problems <laughs> in a variety of different ways <laughs> yes uh, yeah anyways
0: so did you wind up with any interesting scars from rattlesnakes or pigs or jumping oh cars?
1: Yeah. oh yeah let me think about that let me see so on a horse one day on uh, my left elbow i have a scar i was riding uh, a horse up in the hills my grandfather's ranch is on the Rio Grande river uh between just 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 northwest of the big bend country so if Mm. people can see a map of texas and they can identify the big bend national park right you know 40 miles north and west of it on the river is a little village called redford texas and that's where Mm. for 100 years or so 120 130 years my folks have or my family, my ancestors. A branch of my ancestors started off. You know, anyways. So the, the the river bottom is beautiful country, but then it goes into hills right away. And in the hills, cattle graze. And so you get on a horse and you ride up there and you see what they're doing and if they, you know, if the the windmill is working. You know, and yeah. So and there's a lot of cacti called ocotillo, and ocotillo have a lot of uses. It's an excellent natural fence because these things can grow 16, 18 feet long but the, the spines are vicious. They're vicious if you don't handle them appropriately. And so I, somehow or another I brushed by one and and, and got a hook in my arm and it pulled out a, it was an ugly little Ooh. wound, you know. Uh, and so I have a scar from that. Now still, you know, Uh, 40 years later that's a substantial scar you know what I mean yeah
0: Um, my only brushes in with cacti uh I think as a kid I went to this conservancy in Cincinnati and they had little nepales for just gifts and you know they kind of had like the fuzzy little spines and I was just rubbing them as a kid not knowing and then you know 40 minutes later uh, my hands is just on fire um just see the whole spines covered in my hand I learned my lesson
1: yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, so did I. Mostly. 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 You know the 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 one of the great memories I have from from those days was there's this particular kind of fruit. I don't want to. I don't know if I want to reveal the name of it. <laughs> you don't find it <laughs> very much because it's so delicious. A lot okay. of people say the prickly pear fruit. You know, you can see it at the grocery store, but those are full of seed and they're not very. To me, in the Thorns are not worth dealing with, but there's there are other kinds of fruit. Let me just put it this way: I'm going to hold this as a trade secret, <laughs> where that are so delicious, that are so delicious. The spines come off so readily, you know. But they but they fruit only in very specific times under very particular conditions. Do they do they produce fruit? But when they do, oh my word!
0: So like, and you, and you yeah, were talking about just kind of right, well. growing up. Like, so my, I really
1: so that wreck, like I made some yeah, we would go up there under you those know, conditions. About, like, and level, for that about fruit. The games that you're playing, oh,
0: uh, hands-on approach, um, both, uh, I think helpful to get goals accomplished and also to play around. Um, did that continue into your
1: college years or grad school as well? So, so that, was, that was really interesting. You know, I went to college wanting to be a physics major because I was interested mm. in, in those big systems. My parents uh, subscribed to National Geographic, and I read them every month, cover to cover, and was always fascinated with the physics, with the astronomical stuff, and didn't realize the difference between physics and astronomy, didn't really have the math for either one, you know, from rural New Mexico high school, just didn't have the preparation. So I, I, so I moved straight into drinking beer, which was an effective major for two years. Uh, I, I became very astute, uh, you know, accomplished, accomplished. Well, actually it cost me money, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> uh, but so I was paying full tuition in that regard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but uh uh, actually, actually, I put buddy worked at a liquor store. So, uh, but, but, the, but the, the the point was is that I did not do well in school, and, and I meandered, and 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 it was tough. And finally, though, uh, I took a, a, a intro to geography class, which led me, uh, which led me to uh, intro to sociology class which actually introduced me to a professor and that professor uh, really changed my life because he gave me professional opportunities so in my junior year you know i, be, I decided to major in sociology and economics and and in my junior year this demographer uh, named jim williams he hired me so the catholic church has this funny organization structure that you they, they are organized by these things called dioceses and when the church creates a diocese uh to uh, to run all the churches in a particular region boy that's a big deal you know because they anticipate diocese lasting basically forever yeah. you know and and so so the Diocese of New Mexico was pretty big and had been there for many hundreds of years and so the church said we're going to make another diocese and it's going to be a, a in southern New Mexico, and so they hired all kinds of consultants, and they hired Jim to be the demographer, and so he hired me to help do stuff. Cool. And oh my goodness, I learned so much about social scientific thinking. I learned about important tools like uh, age-sex pyramids for population projections, you know, and and just a host of things. And and that that really that really uh, turned me on to social science thinking at the time i had no idea that i would be a professor i didn't anticipate being a professor i had no idea what i wanted to do actually but but that was very important uh that was a very important experience to me yeah. there was a couple of other experiences like that but yeah
0: do you think um you know um, one of the reasons i wanted to start doing this show is i think to showcase like just how wonderful mentors can be and how willing they can be in all sorts of ways to be creative and support creative endeavors. Um, do you think there was something about that mentor you were mentioning that resonated with you and like, in his personality beyond just like the opportunity to get into research that helped you succeed? Yeah, he grew up on a
1: corn farm in Illinois ah, okay. and couldn't wait to leave it, you okay. know? And yeah. so and he went to and pain, And so we had some resonances uh, in terms of our background. And in, in uh, so whenever I came to him with a problem, well, I felt good about going to him with problems because I knew he would have some understanding. Yeah. You know? And so that was really important because for all the science, uh, all the content knowledge that I learned from him, that year he had, uh, and that willingness to listen to me uh, and to uh, provide options for how to go forward—that has always stuck with me and has always been part of who I am, how I try and relate to my to the students I work with.
0: Yeah, I can yeah. definitely see that for sure. Um, I, I think you've got a good a good crew, for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm very
1: fortunate. <laughs> I have a fantastic guy. And for years, for many years, I've been very fortunate uh, to work with students who have helped me be more human, mm-hmm. right, for the variety of things that they come to me with. Uh, I remember at the uh, University of Arizona, there was a young guy who came to me uh, w- with a host of problems and no interest in working with me but we, we resonated so well. And to this day, that, that guy still, we, we stay in touch. And, but then again, there've been students who, who have gone on and done and are doing, are having, I think, remarkable professional careers. And, but I think that the main thing is how each wave of them, we tease, right? Because we keep getting older and, and the students all stay the same age. Yeah. <laughs> right? so 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 but even though they stay the same age, they bring different things. Each successive wave of student bring different things uh, and different uh, recognizably similar, but contextually different concerns and, and problems. And so that's just a way for, for me, I think for us uh, to, to realize our humanity, you know, Really try and be there for them and listen to these things that, while they are very different to our experience, are are central to the student's experience. And we can't otherwise, right, if we don't relate to them, if we can't find a way to relate to them, then we're going to lose a good student. And the student, you know, may not be able to be as effective in their growth and development as they would otherwise be, you know. If yeah. I shun them some way or say something stupid and, you know, uh, goodness, I have said stupid things and I've demonstrated insensitivities and, and, uh, but there you go. You know, yeah, you own people, it. yeah, I own it. When people point it out to me or when I recognize it myself, then I can stop and think and, and I'm not afraid to apologize, you know, but, but there we go. Uh, I think one of the gifts of the academic life is that of reflection. They pay us to stop and think. Yeah. And if we don't do it, if we don't stop and think, then we are definitely not doing our job. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm lucky that I have students who who <laughs> give me pause. <laughs> <laughs>
0: In in a good challenging way. So then I really feel, you know, every, I shouldn't say every, but I would imagine a lot of the students that are coming to you are challenged because they're growing and it's nice to have that reciprocated on your end. Like I know I feel good if I bring a new challenge to Adam, uh, the professor (laughs) I work with, because he gets to grow as we're both struggling with this new thing. Um, And I, I think both you and I have the same philosophy of uh whoever we are mentoring we want them to be better than who we are to be more successful
1: without a question to to both be more successful and to be as much as who they are and to recognize how to continue being as much as who they are as soon as possible yeah because uh, you know that's the thing students right they are still discovering who they are i mean we all are we all are right yep. but but the curve. Is different for the 18 to 25 year old person than it than it is for the. I mean, sometimes the curve for the 58 year old person like me, you know, <laughs> gets pretty rocky, pretty bouncy, up and downy. But 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 boy, the young people, they are consuming a lot of and processing a lot of experience. And uh, to whatever degree we can enable them to do that in a way that helps them realize and become who they are. Uh, and, and and then to deploy that on behalf of the goals that they have professionally. Oh boy, there's a win-win right there.
0: Yeah, it's so rewarding to see too. Um, sure is. I'm actually go, gonna go back to that time span, uh, mid 20s. I'm guessing that's when you were working with this one mentor of yours doing kind of this demographic work. Did you take some time in between that work and grad school?
1: Yeah. As a matter of fact, I did. I, you know, So so I needed a job. This was like 19. So I graduated. It took me four and a half years. That was one of the fortunate things. Uh, so it was very disruptive for my parents because I was supposed to graduate in four years and came up six units short. And my father was literally, literally going to butcher us here you know, which we do regularly anyways when when we were younger, but he he was gonna have a big celebration that my folks were gonna have a big celebration. And I did graduate and boy, he was upset. My mom wasn't so upset. My dad was pretty upset for, Mm -hmm. for many months, you know. So I had to go back and finish one more semester of school to finish. But in that semester, I did two things that were vitally important. One was I learned how to type. You know, because in my high school, typing wasn't required. And so I had to learn to. T- so so I said, I should learn to type. Yeah. And so, so you know, I, uh, so I did. And that was, you know, and then, and then I took t- and I also took two graduate classes an uh, uh, economics, a graduate class in economics and a graduate class in sociology. And those made me recognize that this isn't so hard, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, this is kind of interesting, but I kind of shelved it. At the time, I was uh, working as the teaching assistant in the welding shop at the community college, which was the best job, one of the best jobs. It was the highest paying job that 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 I had as an undergraduate, and and uh, and so I was oriented to working. And I thought for a little while, because I'm I was a pretty good welder when I was a kid. I could tell you some stories about that, but I was pretty good. And uh, so I thought, well, you know. Walters get paid a good chunk of money. And yeah. then I thought, well, you know, I'm a bachelor's degree. I you know, got, went to college and so now I'm going to be a Walter, you know. And I know my parents would not have cared. My dad would have been just as happy, honestly, if I just came clean and said, you know what, I'm going to go work on the Transalaxa Pipeline, which was the big project in the middle 80s. Mm-hmm. It was a mm-hmm. big pipeline project up there. Uh, I would have been a low person on the, to- you know, low, 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 you know, yeah. But I probably could have done it, but anyways, you know, I, or I could have done some sort of occupation like that, and and so 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 I said no, you know, I'm going to try and find a job, but I didn't really know how to find a job. And bachelor's degree in sociology economics, you know, I didn't have a good sense. There wasn't uh, advising that I took advantage of in terms of employment. So so I went to work for the diocese of Dallas for a couple of years resettling refugees from Eritrea hmm. and Vietnam. And that job was super important because I realized just how tough uh, direct social services. Yeah. And I recognized also from school that that we were a aid on a problem that had to do with larger political economic changes in the world. And even though I couldn't name them, I knew that that was the case. I remembered enough about schoolwork that that was the case. So, yeah, so I did that work for a while. And then I said, well, I'm going to apply to graduate school. But because my undergraduate transcripts were so ugly, you know, because of the first two years, I had a 2.01, I think, grade point average. Mm -hmm. And the last two years, I was 4.0. You know, my overall was 2.67 or something like that. So, yeah. People just look at that bottom line, and then they compare with your GRE score, which mine was pretty good. Uh, and they said, "Well, who is this person? <laughs> did, did, yeah, did, yeah. They game, did they game the exam, or you know?" So, so that was later in life that uh, that helped me inform decision making in in admissions committees. But my experience helped me think about that. But at the time, you know, the first time I applied to graduate schools, I got rejected by everybody
0: how cool is that to hear you can still be rejected and become a professor
1: and then the second time i applied i got accepted by one program at the university of texas at dallas in political economy yeah and and, and there you go that's that, and you that sorry go ahead no that that got the ball started <laughs> yeah there, there was
0: um, and I think, if I can remember correctly, you've stayed pretty much in the Southwest to round out your grad school
1: and also the start of you being a professor, as an assistant professor. So, so after that graduate degree from Texas, after that master's, mm-hmm. what I was able to do was make applications to other schools. Because then all of a sudden, after two, yeah. two years, I kind of knew what was going on. You know, or I mean, I had an idea of how the game was played. And 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 the professors there said, hey, you know what? Yeah, they told me, they said, have you ever thought about being a professor? And I said, no, I you know, I hadn't really thought about it. What do you got to, you know, how do you do that? And, and so they explained it to me. And one in particular, a guy named Murray Leaf. Again, you know, he was from Tucson, Arizona. Grew up, you know, Jewish guy, Eastern European Jewish guy. Family had a dry goods store in Tucson for decades and decades. He went to Reed and then the University of Chicago. And he's a noted anthropologist. He's still alive. He's a gift. And I still interact with him occasionally. Anyways, he told me, well, you've got, you know, why don't you apply everywhere? Why don't you, you know, Mm -hmm. and you don't have to be an anthropologist or a sociologist or an economist. You know, think about different disciplines. So i applied to lots of places and got in everywhere except for the JFK school, at Harvard, that was the only rejection I got. Every application I submitted, so I, I ended up going to the University of Chicago, uh, and then decided when I, after two years there, said I am not going <laughs> to. This this program is going to you know these people who are much smarter than me were taking six, eight, ten years to finish. Yeah. People who were much smarter than I was. And I just couldn't, you know, I said, I'm not gonna do this. So I'm so I right up the road, the University of Northwestern Cook County, there's the University of Southern Cook County, the University of Chicago, and the University of Northwestern Cook County. So I went to Northwestern and did the PhD there. And it was great, you know. They they were they were very accommodating. Matter of fact, in in retrospect, I probably should have stayed one more year to improve my writing. You know, and to learn other aspects of the game that I needed to learn because, you know, writing is, we are all authors.
0: Yes. I also feel like once you're, you know, you know, kind of in the middle of my PhD, there's only so much you can know about the PhD when you're in it. And as soon as you're done, you're like, oh, I missed out on all these other opportunities. Um, Besides the writing, do you feel like there's something else that you should have learned in the PhD and had to kind of speed up learn afterwards?
1: Yeah, the professional, what was the expectations of professional life? Mm-hmm. And since then, there's been a lot of programs that help graduate students understand what they're actually getting into if they want to be a professor. Yeah. You know, that being a smart person is just the beginning of the story. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, being relatively good, reasonably good at some kind of science is only the first room of the house. There's lots of other rooms in in the house of science that you have to occupy at different points in your career. And so when I went then, I did, you know, because I told my mom, whenever I was lived in Dallas, I lived near family. I had there was cousins in uh, there were cousins nearby. And uh, I told my mom, I'm moving to Chicago. And she said, what? <laughs> And I said, "Mom, if I'm not done in five years, I'll quit." She said, "Okay." And so I finished those the masters and PhD in five years. I already had that master's in political economy, so I you know I'd read some already. Yeah, yeah. And and so I went and and finished and got that job at the University of Arizona. That was my first academic job. It was a plum job as an elite department, a great first job, but I just didn't know what I didn't know about professional life. And, and unfortunately they thought since I'd come from elite programs that I knew Mm -hmm. and we, and I did. And so, you know, I foundered there as well. And uh, I enjoyed some successes. I mean, it wasn't, you know, and my personal life was fantastic, you know, got married, had a family, you know. had cousins in Tucson as well, still have cousins. Yeah. You know, so there was lots of things that were wonderful about life. But so many of the experiences of those first years uh, were difficult professionally. From them, I grew a lot and learned a lot about uh, professional life. And since then, have a, those elements have made me a better advisor. So, you, uh, yeah.
0: so I'm curious about like, which things you're thinking about um i've found in talking to other like assistant professors starting it's you know you're kind of running your own business like your lab is you know, got to keep it funded you got to get the right employees did you struggle with uh management leadership or are there other things as well
1: so at that time i did not have a lab and in the huh. social sciences in that department there's a department of sociology at the university of arizona there was a social psych lab but i did not have a lab it was uh, and in most social sociologists don't have labs was so act, the, was was right up got me was actually um, producing uh, was actually the submission and review process for person for professional journals i didn't know how much i didn't know which journals to go to i i didn't understand even sometimes the right questions to ask yeah yeah and so so that was that was difficult for me because i was publishing but uh and and my colleagues were nodding and saying nice job but they but i didn't feel i didn't get a sense that i think that they had a sense that i thought i was doing the right thing And so I got a sense that they thought I was doing the right thing. And so we were running on these parallel tracks without really, and talking with each other, without really knowing what I could have been doing differently. And my my doctoral advisor, super smart guy and, and wonderful person, but not super verbose or, and I didn't know how to ask him questions either and not, uh, so it was like, I, I, I just sort of floundered, you know? Um, the, the ship I was sailing was uh, going kind of aimlessly. Mm-hmm. There, I, I wasn't blowing in the sails and in, in, in a direction. <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out how to say what yeah. it was. I'm sorry for, for, for not being very clear about this, but I wasn't asking the right questions and I wasn't getting the right answers and the reviews were supportive of me, but not sufficiently pointed. Yes. You know, let yeah. we think, I was the second you were, person you were of color in, your in that department. Space. Yeah, yeah, because I was a smart guy. People said, wow, that's a good coming," you know, and go to seminars and say smart things. But oh, gosh, smart people are a dime a dozen. And I was the second person of color that that department had ever hired. And the first one, all I heard about that good person were bad things. He mm-hmm. wasn't even part of the department any longer he had moved into administration much earlier because he was not successful. In retrospect, I know why he wasn't successful because I was headed in the same direction.
0: Ah, yeah.
1: You know, but I didn't know it at the time. Yeah. At the time I couldn't put my finger on it.
0: Did you, so in hearing, so I'm imagining you're in this position, you find out about the other person of color that was there before you did you feel like an uh, extra pressure to perform even more to do that act like kind of, I don't want to say make up, but just show other people that people of color are, are
1: well worth yeah. being in the sciences. Yeah. You know, fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, no, I didn't. And the reason why is because I always know when I walk in a room, there's things that I can do that other people in that room cannot do. Mm-hmm. I have a reasonable self-confidence is what I guess I'm trying to say you know even though that part of my life i wasn't quite on the ball i didn't feel the particular need to shine in a way that proves something about my ethnicity yeah i did feel the need to try and figure out the puzzle of the profession but i wasn't very good at figuring out that puzzle and Mm. uh, and 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 i was a new father you know newly married and then a new father and and, and other sorts of things that that in one way compelled me to write, but not always to be writing the right stuff for the right audiences. Yeah. So I was busy, and the lines on my CV were growing, but they weren't in the the American Journal of Sociology, which Mm -hmm. had I taken a particular paper that I was told to take and publish in Social Theory or American Journal of Sociology, my career might look very different, but I, you know, again, it was, I I just didn't know how to navigate the process that needed to be navigated. And having since published in the top journals of five or six different disciplinary associations, I see it so clearly now, including the American Journal of Sociology, (laughs) <laughs> you know uh, I, 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 I understand it so clearly yeah uh, and, and so if, so this me looks back on the, the me of uh, now almost 30 years 25 years ago and says to him don't worry about it buddy you know <laughs> you know things worked out okay you know, because you did get things figured out and you survived a variety of things that other people wouldn't have had to survive. Yeah. You know, and that, that they don't have to survive. They don't have to worry about. It. And 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 taking together that package of who I am today, uh, uh, it, it's not without its flaws, <laughs> without question, I can tell you, you know, but... It, but it's also pretty useful to folks. It's I guess what I'm saying, you know, it gets work done. And and, and I now do have a lab that I did create in the name of my uh, old uh, an emeritus professor in the department who was a neighbor of mine here, Jerry Kaufman. I created it in his name because I didn't want, because one, he died at about the time I wanted to do it. And two, I didn't want to do it like all the natural scientists who name their labs after themselves
0: right. yeah yeah
1: you know i wanted it to i wanted it to have some longevity some meaning outside of me i mean i'm not critical of that approach i understand that that there's that that correspondence is meaningful to people you know and 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 i and i don't believe it has to do in many or even most cases with the professor's ego or something like that you know because i'm proud of my lab <laughs> yeah, You know, yeah. I'm proud of the students. I have an ego about my lab too. So I don't think that it's in a distended sense, you know? Right. I, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, but, but that's why I created the lab that I created.
0: Yeah, and I, I remember, I think going to your lab for the first time, uh, it was striking to me that it wasn't named after you. And I was I was a little confused. Like I've been in, you know, these biological neurological sciences most of my life and that's just a different paradigm. But I, I like that, I think you you are definitely a person who tries to find an additional layer of meaning, uh, I think for
1: all the work that you do. Um, well, thanks, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I like to think that myself, I try to.
0: Yes, and it I, I kind of is a, a reasonable segue into my uh, next question for you, um, as we're gonna to transition to the more kind of open questions. Um, so I've known you for a couple of years, I think you're actually the first person that I've met uh, professor-wise on UW's campus. So it's also huh. kind of fitting you're you know, the first person on behind the beaker. Um, i be. Yeah, so uh, my, my question for you, do you have
1: any secret talents? Secret talents? Wow, man. Oof, what's my secret talent? You know, um, if it's secret, it isn't because I don't want it to be public. <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah. because, you know, <laughs> You don't know, so like you know uh, like oh my goodness uh, so you know um, I crossed it. I no so, idea. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's probably the most. I mean, because I'm a welder, I can do different sorts of things with tools. You know, I can break things in many ways, um, lay bricks. You know, mortar. And bricks, concrete work. You know, uh, uh, if you give me a carburetor, I know how to work with carbureted motors. <laughs> you know, uh, 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 garden, uh, hunt and fish and stuff like that. Uh, but when I was in graduate school, I didn't have a lot of money, and I wanted to give gifts to people. And 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 at the craft store, in the discount aisle. There's these extraordinarily inexpensive things called cross stitch. Now, maybe folks know what that is, right? But what it is is it's a, it's a it's a cloth with a bunch of colored thread that they call floss and a pattern that you follow the instructions and and you make the pattern come out. And so I started doing that in graduate school to give holiday gifts to friends and family. And so yeah, i I don't know what kind of talent it is, but there you go.
0: <laughs> I mean, you're, you're making gifts out of it. I, I think that's worthwhile to begin with. Um, sure. Yeah, I know nothing about cars, so I'll have to <laughs> first probably get a car and then bring it over to your house to <laughs> learn how to fix it up. Um,
1: well, something else I did in graduate school, some of the ga- some of the women graduate students, they had cars, you know, and they knew I had a car and they knew that I worked on my own car. And so they'd ask me, well, what you know, this and that. And, of course, when you have a pickup truck, I had a pickup truck. I always drive pickup trucks. You know, then people ask you for moving. Oh, and yeah. So that means you always have beer, <laughs> you know, because they say, oh, I'll give you some. No, just give me a case of beer. That'll work. You know? Perfect. Yeah. Whatever. You know? Anyways. <laughs> yeah. All
0: right. I will uh, I'll ask you a few questions, and then we'll get on to our game at the end. Um, okay.
1: Cool what is your favorite failure? Oh my goodness. Probably. Well, you know, favorite. Let me think about this. So professional or personal. Oh my goodness. Either one. Yeah. Either one. Hmm, Jeez. You know, Oh my goodness. Failures. You know, there are so many, you know, I mean, really, you know, Uh, and it's hard to have a favorite, Um, you know, probably the most life transformative was getting denied promotion and tenure at Mm. the university of Texas at El Paso. You know um, my wife is also a PhD. She's Stanford sociology PhD. And when we got married, she, when she decided to come to Tucson with me and then we decided to buy a house and get married and have a family. And so, so she, her PhD was being delayed a lot. And so at, at some point at Arizona, when we knew here's another failure, a sub failure, <laughs> when we knew that professionally getting promoted and tenured in Arizona was still possible, but probably not likely, or I mean, yeah. there, it would have been a difficult situation and we would have put a lot of people in a, in a very difficult situation, hmm. uh, you know, is the way that I frame it now. And even then, I recognized the difficulties that my case would have have presented to people who I valued, my colleagues in the department who I valued, you know, even though sometimes I don't think we did very well professionally in our relationship, in our, in our understanding of what to do. Still, I valued them as humans. And as people, I knew, I'd known some of them for several years and I valued them. So I didn't want to put them through that. And so my wife said, well, you know, let's apply for jobs. And so uh, she was, all but dissertation she was yeah. she had finished but except for dissertation and applied so we applied we didn't want to leave the southwest so we applied for jobs at the university of texas of el paso which is like the completely different world from university of Arizona. you know uh you know a little school with the sociology anthropology department that only granted master's undergraduate master's degrees you know and nothing professionally and no place yeah, yeah. But, but close to family, again, still, you know, with students that, that we wanted to be teaching, you know, and a lot of positive things. So we moved to El Paso, and after a couple of years, my, my a variety of things happened in my wife's career, and she said, I don't want to be a professor. <laughs> mm-hmm. So she so she left uh, some terrible things happened in, in the politics of that department, and she said, Forget this. I'm going to go to work in administration when she's a gifted administrator and currently associate dean of the College of Engineering here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. You know, I mean, she's an elite administrator. And so, but we said, okay, we're here in El Paso. Let's just make a life here. So we're just going to stay here. And so, but, but I had made big enemies.
0: Yeah. And, wow.
1: In, in, uh, and so the department advanced my promotion case. The college advanced my promotion case. The dean said no. The provost said yes. Mm. I'm promoting you. And then the president of the university said no.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. And at that point, I would been learning to play the game pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So I had a pretty good vita. I mean it was pretty it was pretty good. And uh, there and we could have litigated that. But instead we applied for jobs. And at that point our son was in fourth grade mm-hmm. and he knew who his family was. We didn't want to leave the Southwest without seeing family. He knew who his cousins were. We saw him regularly, you know, and we said, Okay, if we leave, we're just gonna to have to commit our resources to traveling home instead of right. you know the other sorts of traveling that you can do and so or traveling you know to see our parents and relatives and whatnot. so uh so that was a substantial failure it yeah. was a life-changing failure uh and what it what it, of course what it did was brought us to wisconsin and uh where subsequently you know uh, i didn't say this at the outset but you know and now, Vilas Distinguished Achievement Professor, uh, which is you know, they don't hand that to you from a cracker jack box, and <laughs> yeah. so you know, uh, uh, so I'm thankful you know for the courage my wife showed in supporting me, and for the love she showed you know, and for you know uprooting our kid, who you know, uh, it's not easy uprooting. Right, your yeah. family. You know, it's not easy. And, you know, for for the the courage that Dean Gary Sandifer, who I had known from my time at Arizona when he was in the Sociology Department here at Wisconsin, he became Dean of the College of Letters and Sciences and now is Provost at the University of Oklahoma. Gary was a huge gift, made possible an initial position here at Wisconsin mm-hmm. and encouraged me to continue to seek uh, tenure track positions, which I eventually, you know, did get here at Wisconsin, and marched through the system, and and uh, you know, so so I guess that failure is my favorite failure, uh, at least professionally. Although you know, there's there's probably a number of others <laughs> that are pretty important, but that one, you know,
0: that's significant.
1: On, yeah, on that that one hinged a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm personally, you know, I'm gonna be selfish here and say, I'm glad you wound up here so we could <laughs> meet one another. Uh, yeah, thank you for not getting tenure down there. I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. I'll yeah. drop them a note. I've actually <laughs> yeah. since then heard from folks from that process. It's been remarkable. You know, the, the I had six presidents of the Lawn Society Association and a couple of other presidents of professional associations. Write letters on my behalf Hmm. after that episode, saying, "Hey, whoever hires, you know, dear you, if you hire this guy, you're going to count yourself fortunate one of these days." Yeah, and you know, so I mean, there was a there was a lot of folks who who were very supportive who knew that what happened to me was politics, and the poor guy, you know, who who facilitated that dismissal, uh, he uh, six or eight years ago. Uh, he got fired from the University of Texas at El Paso for f- for fraudulent behavior with federal grants, you know hmm. that that you know, and for other stuff. I mean, poor guy. I mean, I knew we all knew that he was up to no good. We couldn't put our finger directly on it, but we thought something. People could, you know. I don't know how much to reveal about that. It's a pub- matter of public records for Nando Rodriguez. S. Fernando Rodriguez, you can Google him, you know. Yeah. Uh, And it's in the newspapers of the time, eight or so years ago. (sighs) You know, the poor guy went through, you know, his life was turned upside down. I I I wonder how he's doing sometimes. Anyhow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Nothing like the the politics for nothing of academia. Yes. People say we fight over, and it's true, you know, I don't know, egos. I guess there's yes. a good failure for you, you know? Yeah. Relocate locate that, that ego with a big E, you know? Yeah. Take that down.
0: I have, you know, I've thought about going into careers of academia or politics or I mean, anything I think is going to have polit- uh, some sort of political sphere that you have to navigate. Um And I, I mean, I'm slightly worried going forward because I'm just trusting and optimistic that people are just going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm your friend too. And then kind of stab me in the back in two or three years. But, um, you know, you learn, you navigate your system. Um, And I feel like it's better to
1: trust people um, than kind of be afraid. Um, Yeah, yeah. You know, and listen to your heart and your advisors, you know, and the people you love in your life, right? And don't do you know, give them the opportunity to stab you in the back if you maintain your morals and your values. That's true. You know, it's up to you. Even if your ego is getting in the way of those virtues, you got to try and be virtuous. And, and you know, and folks in your life are going to try and help you steer. Yeah. You know, a path by way of your values. So, and you know.
0: I think that's something you can, In just like the story you just told is, you did the work and then people were like, yeah, I'm going to keep supporting these guys. Like we can show it. We got the records. He's a decent person. Yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So, so there you go. I, you know, this isn't to say everything works out and life is grand because goodness knows, you know, uh, people have, you know, super tough things, but in the privileged world that I get to occupy, you know, Merits still matter, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We debate those merits, and when we debate them in good faith, things still work out, you know? Yep. So.
0: Okay, my last question before we get to our game, um, what are you looking <laughs> forward to
1: next? Wow. You mean besides lunch? I'm thinking right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> I mean, it can um, be as simple as lunch. It's good. I mean, your description of breakfast earlier uh, sounded great, so I bet going to be the same. <laughs> Probably be pretty good. What am I looking forward to? Um, so, so, you know, um, I'm looking forward to trying to continue to, you know, on a personal level, to try and continue to refine myself as a person, you know, and be a reasonable person and continue to try and be responsive to other people. And in my personal life, in my relationships, you know, um, I, I Professionally, I guess sort of likewise, it's likely I'll be the chair of the department starting next fall. So hmm. that- Congrats. You know, brings some, yeah, well, everybody has to do it, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. and it, we have a good turn-taking norm in our department. Yeah. Uh, and a lot could be said about that, but in any case, um, because of the lateness of my career, because of the very long time I spent as an assistant professor. Uh, whatever aspirations I had to other academic posts are not likely to be mm. borne out. It, uh, but I do have a robust research agenda. It's not like my curiosity has ever been eroded by things. Um, and so I, I will be working hard in research for the years to come. But I am 58, and I do see that in the end. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I know that i'm in the probably the last full chapter of my academic career you know or maybe you know and then there'll be a concluding chapter and you know and so so these years you know we'll see what happens yeah but yeah
0: <laughs> i just started uh reading david sedaris's calypso um oh, wow. last night which is uh humorous writings about middle-aged and death. Have, have you read it?
1: I have not read Calypso, but okay. I've read some of David Sedaris. Okay. This might be
0: a good time to read it, I suppose, cool. if you're thinking about the, the final chapter of your life. Uh, it might be a good way to just laugh about it as you, think of, as you contemplate it.
1: I will. That's pretty cool. I started reading um, this uh, 12th century monk uh, by a woman named... Uh, uh, oh my goodness, Ellen. So she goes by different nom de plume, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the the protagonist is Cadfael, and so he was a warrior for thirty years. And and the 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 opening story, which is written very late in the stories, is him leaving the crusades and becoming a monk, and all wow. the different stuff he learns about herbology. From his world travels and implement them. so I kind of feel like I, I I kind of feel like the move to Wisconsin was sort of like that for me. You know, I left the the battlegrounds for a better situation. But Calypso, that sounds good. I like to read essays, and his his work is really good. I enjoy. It. Yeah. So I appreciate yeah.
0: that. Uh, yeah. Definitely. I I've only read the first like uh, one of his chapters, but it's been really enjoyable so far. Cool.
1: Um
0: With that, I'm going to now switch to our our final little piece where we're going to do this game. Um, I call it Pitch Me This. So I've asked you to bring your two objects with you. The goal, and I've got two objects with me too, is to try to sell the other person whatever object you have in about 30 seconds.
1: Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness.
0: I I like this game. So I'll have improv (laughs) nights with friends and every once in a while, and we do this. Um, but I thought this would be a good game to play with you because you at some point were considering selling real estate so I was like okay I'll I'll keep this Uh, we'll see those skills in action maybe we'll see them that they're slightly rusty maybe not Um, but uh, do you you want to go first do you want to kind of see how how it's done how I can also try to do it you know what I'll go first very good fire away Okay, I'm gonna set my timer timer, and I'm excited to go first because Alfonso, (laughs) I've got a great deal for you. Um, So we're on Zoom right now. And a lot of the times on Zoom, you can't smell the other person, but don't you remember the times when you're in meetings and you just bring like a whole pack of gum with you to have that minty fresh breath, uh, to get that confidence. And so I would like to sell you this half used container of Eclipse gum uh, to have that mentee confidence still on Zoom so you can nail all of your uh, potential grant meetings going forward and all the meetings that you have with your research staff.
1: Do you want to Sounds buy delicious. Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll buy it. All right, but you're for in? For a third of the price. Whatever Perfect. you pay for it, <laughs> I'm paying 30 cents on the dollar. <laughs> okay,
0: that's it's a total of a $1 then in the end. So I hope you can afford that. um you've committed you can't get out um all right i am ready for one of your objects
1: okay you're gonna you're gonna set the timer for me yeah or do i set it myself
0: uh i i can do it i'll flash up five seconds when it's you know about time
1: okay hey good afternoon ben i'm so glad you could make a few minutes to join me to talk about this beautiful this beautiful leaf from uh a plant that hey let me tell you this isn't just any plant this is a cutting of a cutting of my great-grandmother's plant. Uh, And I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, For some reason it's escaping me right (laughs) now, but it's got that beautiful jasmine scent when the flowers are in the windows just right. And it's a beautiful little white flower. And what's great about this leaf is you can just stick it in the ground, water it, and it'll grow.
0: Wow, I mean, that sounds great. Uh, I would definitely, enjoy carrying on that legacy too. I will trade you that leaf for this gum.
1: Excellent, excellent. I can tell you, I give my doctoral students this plant with that story.
0: Okay, well, that seems perfect. Um, Well, maybe I'll be able to get two leaves after you hear this next thing (laughs) I wanna sell you. Um, So I'm gonna go ahead. I have this reflective little light that you can wear when you're running. Uh, or biking oh, yeah. at night. And, you know, we are in the middle of Wisconsin winter. It's dark by 2 p.m. and So this is the only way you can <laughs> safely go around town um, because you you don't want to be caught out in the dark uh, trying to go on these busy streets. Um, and like the gum, I will sell you this at a third of the price. I think I paid $8 for it in the beginning. I will sell you this at, uh, I think, $2.33. So while listening and editing this, I realized that it's seven dollars that I'm summing up to, not eight. I'm losing money left and
1: right. Sold. You know what? I'm actually looking for stuff for and and one of our department staff. He showed me this fancy uh web that you put over yourself. Hmm. It, it clips on. It's pretty fancy. But uh, so I need things like that. Uh, or and we'll see though if my wife puts the batteries in them because you know she might not. Uh, well, you know you never can tell. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. What have I got for you? I've got something for you. I'm supposed to sell it to you, but okay. if I what if I don't want to sell it to you? <laughs> Ooh, that's yeah. Here, here it is. So the other thing that I got is this labyrinth bowl. Ooh. So and this is beautiful. It's pewter. It's this fits in the palm of your hand. <clears throat> you put your finger on it right there, you know, and, and you pass through the labyrinth as you sit in a meditative state. And it's extremely calming, especially if you've got a shot of rye whiskey with you. And 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 it's a delightful thing to do uh, a couple times a day or a year. And the reason why I can't sell it to you is because my wife gave it to me, and this shows you how well she knows me yeah that's perfect well you know
0: i think it's a really l- lovely thing but i'm gonna pass on it anyways so,
1: <laughs> so we're set. Well, good i'll i'll buy it for i'll buy one for you and then you can take the 20 bucks and exchange it for something else when you graduate <laughs> <laughs> sounds
0: great um well this is this is perfect i really enjoyed the conversation alfonso i feel like i've learned a lot about you also had some fun um I'm glad we could end on a good, positive, fun note and be a little silly at the end. So thanks again. Um, I think you're a perfect first guest.
1: Well, Ben, you're a perfect interviewer, and oh, this has been a pleasure. such a pleasure for me, N- not just personally in this moment, but professionally. You've always been such a gift. Because we have, we've known each other since whenever you were on the Food Policy Council. And yeah, I think you engaged us. It's been three years, ago. three years. Yeah, yeah, three years or so, probably. And so, you know, in the work that you've done for with the lab, uh, with the Kaufman lab has just been terrific and super useful. And your Thanks. mentorship of students marks you right there. That marks you for any kind of professional role that you're gonna play, whenever you're administered, whether you're an administrator or executive director or directing something, or you're an academic, I know that you're gonna be a great great supervisor and a great supporter of the folks you work with. Yeah, thank you. I I think it's, yeah, I I want, uh, you know, I think that's real important. Folks who you engage in this process, they're not gonna know you like I know you, but I want folks to know that about you
0: well thanks yeah and i i think i really take a lot of that from you too so it's reciprocal we'll keep pushing each other in the right direction thanks for listening to deeper than data i hope you have enjoyed alfonso the mustache man just as much as i have throughout the years he is intelligent and full of warmth deeper than data was produced and created by me ben rush music by me ben rush bad jokes also by me ben rush and until next time be well since recording this episode, Alfonso has learned that one of his college friends, Sam Wadley, has passed on in December 2020. So here's to you, Sam. We're going to dedicate this episode to you, and I hope you're resting well.